All right, for the younger ones among us, here we go. I don't know if you can see this, but I'm all set for transfiguration. Can you see what I just did? Let me come closer. I'm ready for the brightness of Jesus. So do you think sunglasses would be enough to keep the brightness of Jesus out of my eyes? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. What else could we do? We Maybe can close our eyes. And a hat would be good. What else could we do? Close our eyes. We could close our eyes. Have you ever tried that though? You close your eyes and a little bit of sun still comes through your eyelids, doesn't it? Yeah. So I think the point of the story today is that there is nothing that can keep us from seeing the light of Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. And I like that. It's almost like any time we see some light, we're reminded that Jesus is a part of our life and a part of our world. And it's a reminder that we're not alone, that Jesus is always with us. And then the disciples who went up on this mountaintop with Jesus and saw him become so dazzling white, they heard this wonderful voice that people heard, well, Jesus heard it at his baptism, and now the disciples are hearing it, a message from God that said, this is my beloved, listen to him. So the message for today is very simple. Whenever we see light, whether it's a bright light or just a little candlelight in a dark room, we think of Jesus who is the light of the world and who is there for us guiding our way through life, always giving us a little bit of light so that we can see just the right amount. And then we also are reminded that Jesus is the beloved, the son of God and is with us always, no matter what. So this is our prayer for us today. Dear God, on bright sunny days, on moonlit nights, whenever we see a little bit of light, Help us to remember your love that surrounds us like sunshine. Amen. Amen. And then for the others of us, I want to start by telling a story about my grandmother who lived in Beamer, Nebraska, a town of about 600 people. And she had a little car, a Dodge Dart, that she would drive to the grocery store. There was a grocery store in town and to her hairdresser. So she was out on the road maybe once or twice a week. But she would get it in her head sometimes if she felt like 
her children or her grandchildren weren't visiting her enough, she would get it in her head that she would drive and go see them. Well, one day, my uncle, who lived in Fremont, Nebraska, about an hour away, got a phone call from someone from Beamer. They had seen my grandmother in her Dodge Dart on the highway going 35 miles an hour. And so, of course, they were concerned. They called my uncle, and he, I have to admit, was very wise. He called both mechanics in Beamer and said, my mother will be coming in, look at her car and tell her it's safe to drive only in town, that it's not safe to take on the highway. And they both agreed to do that. So my uncle called his mother and said, mom, you need to take your car in for the regular oil change and she took it into the first auto mechanic and he said, everything's fine, except you can't take it out on the highway. And she said, okay. And immediately she went to the other auto mechanic in town who said the same thing. And so there you have it. My grandmother wasn't allowed to drive outside of a town of 600, but she could still get to the hairdresser. She could still get to the bank, she could still get to the grocery store. And I think that's a lovely and charming story about um, growing a little bit older and being told in a nice way that you have to give up something. So in her case, it was driving to visit her children and grandchildren, being on the highway. Not all of her independence was taken away, just some of it. So having to give up a car, that could be very difficult. Having that conversation about moving into assisted living can be very difficult. Having the conversation about moving to a nursing home can be very difficult. They're tough transitions. And I know many of you have faced those same difficult decisions with your parents or some other elders in your life. Some of you maybe are wondering how soon it will be that you'll have to face these decisions in your own life. I doubt if I'm gonna be as graceful as my grandmother was when I'm told I can no longer drive. Our first lesson from 2 Kings and our gospel from St. Mark are both stories about transition. And they are not easy ones. Elisha was the prophet Elijah's understudy. Elijah was one of the superstars of the Old Testament. He lived in the ninth century BC and he went up, if you remember this story, against evil Queen Jezebel and her husband, King Ahab. Jezebel had introduced the practice of worshiping Baal or Baal into Israel, and Elijah preached and prophesied against it. 
Finally, a contest was set up on Mount Carmel. Both Elijah and the priests of Baal set up altars and slaughtered young bulls as a sacrifice. And the contest was to see which God would light a fire under the sacrifice. There were 450 priests of Baal, and they paraded around for hours, praying and hoping that Baal would listen to their cry. But nothing happened. Elijah taunted them a little bit. He said, maybe if you pray a little louder, maybe Baal is sleeping and he can't hear you. Finally, they grew exhausted and they gave up. And then it was Elijah's turn. But before he prayed, he had the people pour gallons and gallons of water over the sacrifice. And when he prayed, God sent forth such a fire that not only the bull, but the stone altar and all the water was burned up too. Then Elijah ordered the people to kill the priests of Baal. Queen Jezebel got pretty upset over that and swore to have Elijah killed. So he ran away, he hid in the mountains, but God came to him and spoke to him, not in a furious wind or a mighty earthquake or a blazing fire like sometimes prophets are spoken to, but in that still small voice. And God assured Elijah that things would be okay and he called him back to his ministry of being a prophet for the people of God in his day. So Elijah then called Elisha to be his follower, and Elisha witnessed many of the prophet's deeds of power, and he knew this great man well, and he did not want to let him go. So in our text today, Elijah knows that God is about ready to take him up into heaven. Three times Elijah tries to get Elisha to stay behind, but each time Elisha refuses. Others try to tell him too that the Lord is going to take Elijah away into heaven. But each time Elisha says something like, I don't want to talk about it. Leave me alone. Sometimes when we face difficult transitions, we react the same way, don't we? We don't want to talk about it. It's like if we ignore it, then maybe it will go away. But despite not talking about it, Elijah and Elisha are separated by horses and a chariot of fire, and Elijah is taken up into heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha is left standing there calling after his master. Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. I doubt if that is what I might have said. We don't always utter the most intelligible things when we're scared out of our minds. But Elisha nonetheless is left behind. He tears his clothing in a sign of grief, and he takes up Elijah's mantle. 
As the story continues beyond our text, he then takes the mantle and uses it to strike the waters of the Jordan River, just like Elijah had done. And the waters part and he crosses over on dry land and he enters into his own ministry. As hard as it was for him, Elijah let go of the past and he entered into the future, trusting in God's strength and power. So let me just repeat that part. As hard as it was for him, Elijah let go of the past, entered into the future, trusting in God's strength and power. Elisha did what we need to do. Yes, it's hard to let go. It's hard to let go of loved ones. It's hard to let go of the past. It's hard to move on, but it, it is necessary. The encouraging thing is that God gave Elisha the strength and the power to make the transition and to move forward. And God promises to help us do the same. Our gospel text is about change and transition as well. Jesus has been teaching and healing and preaching. People are beginning to wonder if maybe Elijah had returned. There are even some whispers of how he might even be the Messiah. So Jesus takes Peter and James and John up on a mountaintop where he is transfigured before them. His clothing become dazzling white. Moses and Elijah appear with him and the disciples see him talking to them. What an experience that must have been. So Peter blurts out, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter wants so desperately to preserve this wonderful mountaintop experience. And don't we all? When something is good, we want to hang on to it. When we're on vacation, sitting on a beach, watching a sunset, we want the experience of that beauty and joy and peace in that moment to last forever. But it can't happen. As much as Peter wanted to preserve the moment on the mountaintop, that wasn't why Jesus came into the world. This was just a small glimpse of his glory something that God gave the, to the disciples to help them face the difficult days ahead that would be theirs, even if they didn't realize how important this moment was. For now, Jesus was turning his face toward Jerusalem. It was a transition time for him. He was about ready to face his own trial and his own death. And that is why he came into the world. He came to die for us so that we might live with forgiveness of all of our sin. He came to show us that God's love and presence is not found only in mountaintop experiences, but it's also found in the dark valleys of death and despair. 
There are many transitions in life. Loved ones die. We change or lose jobs. We face pandemics. Our health fails. Friends move away. Pastors leave us. Or we get married. We have a baby. We buy a house. We get a promotion. We make new friends. Life is filled with transitions and changes, but sometimes they're hard. Even the good ones, like marriage and children, can be stressful and difficult. But God has promised to be with us in the midst of those transitions and provide for us all the strength and the guidance, the light that we need on our journey. God doesn't allow Peter to build these structures up on the mountaintop. Instead, God tells Peter, James, and John, this is my son. Listen to him. So that's also the invitation for us. We should listen to Jesus. We need his words of comfort and assurance so that we can find the strength to let go of the past and move toward the future. There are times when doing just that is so scary. And like Peter, we can be terrified. But God tells us not to be afraid. In fact, there are 365 passages in our scripture where God says, do not be afraid. In this passage, facing his own death, Jesus had many reasons to be afraid. But here we see him keeping his sights on God and God alone and what he was called to do and be in the world. One major point from our readings today should be that we hear God saying to us, no matter what transition you're facing now or will face in the future, do not be afraid. Listen to that and take it in. Help that be your guiding principle in the days ahead. Another point is this, God tells us to listen to Jesus. So listen to Jesus when he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We don't face our transitions alone. What is more, we can even be strengthened and supported through them. Take seriously the word of God to us throughout scripture. So from Isaiah, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious hand. And in Romans, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. We may not always understand how things work for good, especially the things that not only make us feel sad, but break our hearts and eat our insides out. 
We can't imagine how anything good can come from them, but God is a powerful God and can make something good come from even the worst situations. We're finding that everywhere if we look around in the midst of pandemic. Out of death comes life, out of despair comes hope, out of suffering comes healing and wisdom. Later in Romans, we hear this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Transitions are tough. There's no doubt about it. Some are tougher than others. I don't know which one you are facing right now, but I can assure you that you are not facing it alone. God is with you and promises to give you the strength that you need. And look around, look at your screen. You're connected to a community of brothers and sisters who will hold you in their prayers and thoughts, who will comfort you, who will be there with you and for you no matter what, in every way to make your transitions easier to bear. Change wasn't that easy for Elisha. It wasn't easy for Peter. And it isn't always easy for you and me. But God gave Elisha the strength to pick up Elijah's mantle and to enter into his own ministry. He gave Jesus, Peter, James, and John the strength to come down from the mountaintop and enter into the valley filled with problems and pain and betrayals and death. Remember what God said on that mountaintop. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. If we listen to Jesus, we'll hear him say, do not be afraid. If we listen to Jesus, we know that we do not go into transition alone for God promises to go with us. Amen.